Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Political scientists Eric Oliver and Thomas Wood in a study published in the American Journal of Political Science recently find that half of the American public consistently endorses at least one conspiracy theory. They find conspiracism to be a product of, not to be a product of greater authoritarianism, uh, ignorance, or political conservatism. Rather, the likelihood of supporting conspiracy theories is strongly predicted, they say, by a willingness to believe in other unseen intentional forces and attraction to Manichaean narratives. According to Colin Dickey, author of the forthcoming book about conspiracy theories called The Unidentified, such theories appear and spread at moments of upheaval and cultural anxiety. Dickey writes recently in the New Republic magazine, uh, examines the rise of conspiracy theories long thought to be more the province of the right wing on the left in the aftermath of Donald Trump's election as president. We're going to ask what it means that the president himself has dabbled in conspiracy theories, supplied such figures as Alex Jones. What about social media? We're going to investigate the what, why, where, when, and how of conspiracy theories with Colin Dickey uh, this hour. You're welcome to join the conversation as well. We welcome in uh, Colin Dickey to the program. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Colin Dickey's author of Ghostland, An American History of Haunted Places and Other Books, and uh, writes for uh, many publications, uh, including L.A. Review of Books, Lapham's Quarterly, and uh, he has a Ph.D. in comparative literature from University of Southern California. He's Associate Professor of Creative Writing at uh, National uh, University. This, uh, your article uh, and, and the subject matter has gotten quite a bit of buzz. There's some pushback as well. You're talking about how liberals have tended to... Uh, be a bit smug on this subject. You know, we're smarter than this. It's the right that traffics in conspiracy theories. You're saying with the rise of Trump, there's a rise on the left of conspiracy theories. Yeah, I mean, I think you you, you alluded to this in into your in your intro as well. I mean, uh, you know, there's this kind of longstanding narrative. I think that um, you know, with people like Alex Jones and and Sean Hannity um, among others, you know, the the conspiracy theories are really. Uh, the province of of the right wing, whereas you know uh, liberals are you know maybe more sort of sober and rational and sort of scientific thinking, um, and you know that that I, that narrative got a lot of traction I think during during the Obama presidency in particular when uh, you know as you mentioned people like Donald Trump were advancing conspiracy theories you know uh, involving the president's uh, place of birth and things of that nature, but you know during the the George W. Bush presidency, you had a number of people who who were arguing that that 9/11 was somehow an inside job, and you know you can go all the way back to the 60s, uh, you know, with people asserting that uh, JFK's assassination, you know, was was somehow uh, an FBI uh, operation or whatever, and that you know that was largely on the left too. So I, you know, I mean, when you start to sort of add it up, and you know, as I started to sort of look at it and look at the the Trump lamps or the the landscape post uh, Trump's election inauguration, it it really seemed a lot more complicated to me than just simply, you know, there's there's one set of believers who believe in conspiracy theories, and there are another who are somehow immune or resistant to it. I was surprised by this reading this uh, abstract of this study. Fifty percent of Americans uh, hold at least one conspiracy theory. That seemed a little high to me, but I, you know, I'm not downing their their research. Uh, and I've I've kind of held this I guess this bias. I remember growing up in Eastern Utah, in our community, uh, we had uh, I had interaction with some uh, John Birchers, member of the John Birch Society, exactly, and, yeah. and they were pretty open about. Uh, I remember them handing me a sheet as a young man, a mimeograph sheet, uh, saying, "Here's proof that the I, I don't know what it was, the Illuminati Trilateral Commission is going to take over the U.S. and Henry Kissinger is going to run the youth camps." Right, this, exactly. You know, yeah, I mean this stuff. You know, it goes back really far in America's DNA. I mean, uh, you know, as you say, there the John Birchers and sort of Barry Goldwater movement, and you go back before that. You have, you know, the uh, Henry Ford with his uh, uh, promulgation of the the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, this sort of anti-Semitic conspiracy theory that gained a lot of traction in the 1930s and. You know, way back into the 19th century, there were anti-Catholic conspiracy theories, anti-Mormon conspiracy theories, anti-Freemason conspiracy theories, anti-Illuminati conspiracy theories. I mean, so you know, I mean, this is this is really, in a in a fundamental sense, sort of baked into uh, America's DNA and and something that I think we we like to think of as a as a fringe and and marginal aspect of of just a few cranks out there, but is in fact kind of part and parcel of American history and, and how uh, America has defined itself through the centuries. 
I'd like to parse out what conspiracy theory is by uh, having you take us through. your. It's a little later in your article. I'd like to bring it forward here. Uh, you say there's a difference between uh, tendency toward confirmation bias and a conspiracy theory. And maybe you, right. can, maybe you could so, use an yeah. example or so two. Confirmation bias, I mean, and again, confirmation bias is something that all of us do. I, I fully cop to doing it myself. And, and that is basically... Uh, we pick and choose among, you know, new stories and available evidence. We, we look for things that support the beliefs that we already have. So, you know, if, if I am a liberal, I will, um, I will look for uh, stories that, that paint conservatives to be, you know, monsters. And, and when there are similar conspiracy theory or similar news items about, you know, uh, liberals being monsters, I'll tend to kind of you know, either explain them away or kind of look the other way, and, you know, and uh, I'll just kind of downplay them a little bit. And, you know, again, that happens across the board. Um, I, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's a problem, and I, I think it's something we should all be sort of cognizant of in our own interactions. But, uh, you know, that to me is a different, uh, a different ball of wax entirely than what, what a conspiracy theory is. If, if confirmation bias is about downplaying uh, evidence that that doesn't support your your beliefs. Conspiracy theorists actually embrace it. They see uh, contrary evidence not only as um, as as revelatory, but they see it as as you know a false flag operation, right? So so it's one thing to say you know this evidence doesn't support my conclusion. It's another thing to say this evidence supports it because it's a proof that there is disinformation and conspiracy and that there is there is a, a secret motivating agent behind the scenes who is putting out false information to make uh, you believe the wrong thing and so so conspiracy theories I think you can you can boil down to a, to a belief that somehow behind the scenes there is a, a motivating agent or group or uh, a secret cabal uh, that is somehow malevolent, that is secretly pulling the strings behind everything that we see out there on a day-to-day reality. And, um, you know, to scientists, uh, those who want to hold up facts, uh, this this can be maddening, right? Because uh, conspiracy theories are pretty impervious to, to facts. In fact, they even hold up absence of fact as, as support for their conspiracy theory. Exactly, right. Yeah. And again, that's the difference between confirmation bias. I mean, if, if you're if you're susceptible to confirmation bias and somebody sort of, you know, forces you to confront evidence that, that clearly, uh, uh, you know, contradicts your beliefs, then on some level, you'll you'll begrudgingly admit it. You know, you know, at some level, you'll say, OK, this is this is evidence. But if if you present uh, conflicting evidence to a conspiracy theorist, they'll just come back with saying, you know, with some uh, some rationale or some some reason why the evidence itself is is faulty or is duplicitous or you know is is part of the conspiracy, right? You know, and and for a conspiracy theorist, fundamentally, those pre sort of pre held beliefs actually are going to outweigh any kind of empirical evidence that that you can present to them. Uh, so we, uh, you, you cite, uh, uh, you, you mentioned Glenn Beck, you mentioned Alex Jones in, uh, you know, your, your article, New Republic, uh, well worth read, by the way, it's called The New Paranoia. Um, and, and we've heard these, and I guess if you're on the left, uh, you, you know, you kind of shake your head smugly and say, well, yeah, that's, you know, it's just crazy. Uh, <laughs> any one of Glenn Beck's rants, uh, Alex Jones, you know, uh, saying that uh, Sandy Hook was... Uh, was faked to to get gun control. Um, I wonder if you could tell us a few of the things that are popping up on on the left, and a lot of them have to do with Russia. And I guess, uh, you know, it, if you're on the left, then it kind of gets a little closer to home, doesn't it? And and maybe you'd be more likely to believe in some of these conspiracy theories. Yeah, exactly. And and you know, what I looked at is is in the wake of Trump's election and, and inauguration. You know, there there was this whole proliferation of voices and a lot of this is happening on social media which is you know kind of a breeding ground for for conspiracy and paranoia to begin with um you know and and they would all kind of take the form of somebody who would say uh you know i have this insider knowledge maybe you know i talked to a former member of the intelligence services and uh i know for a fact uh you know uh 
indictments are going to come down because because Donald Trump is a Manchurian candidate. He's been programmed by the Russians, and and it's all going to come out uh, in the next coming days. So you know, follow my Twitter account, uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel, uh, stay tuned for exciting new developments. And you know, I want to be you know clear, especially with regards to Russia. Is that, you know, I, as we're seeing in in the mainstream news, you know, it's not that there's no there there. I mean, you know the the intelligence committees are are pretty much uh, in in unanimity in asserting that you know Russia you know monkeyed around in, in our election process and you know that there's something going. On. I mean, and obviously we have you know Senate and House committees and a and a special counsel sort of looking into this. So so for me, I was less interested in what is the objective truth here. And and obviously, I mean, you know, it's a sort of ongoing developing story. I you know we we may by the end of this phone call, you know discover that there's some new breaking news for all I know. But, you know, uh, so I was less interested in what was the objective truth, and I was more interested in why are so many people, uh, particularly those who maybe, you know, sort of think of themselves as rational, logical thinkers, uh, subscribing to these these beliefs that are often presented sort of evidence-free by, uh, you know, people that nobody's ever heard of on, on the Internet before who suddenly overnight become these sort of self-proclaimed experts in, uh, you know, Russian politics and uh, intelligence gathering sources, and 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 what what's driving us to those voices? There are some examples. Um, for example, uh, Louise Mensch. Tell me about uh, about her. And she, you you point out, um, she was given space in the New York Times recently. Yeah, Louise Mensch is a really fascinating uh, figure who was a conservative member of parliament in in the UK as well as being a uh, I think a romance novelist um, who who left parliament in the, in the words of one of my british friends she left parliament so she could spend more time on the internet um, and she sort of uh, sort of reinvented herself as this uh, this insider who who knows for a fact uh, that that all these things are, are about to happen, all of these sort of secret machinations. And, and her her predictions are, are so bizarre just in the sense that they, they make no logical sense for anybody who has a sort of basic understanding of how the American Constitution works. So so she'll argue for a fact that, that uh, Senator Orrin Hatch is actually being given secret intelligence briefings because he is going to be uh, the next president of the United States in a matter of days, because he is actually fourth in line, or third or fourth in line after the vice president and speaker of the House. But but since Vice President Pence and Speaker of the House Paul Ryan have all already been implicated in this secret uh, conspiracy that's about to come to light, uh, they've been removed from the line of presidential succession, which is why Orrin Hatch is going to be our next president. And 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 that's just again, I mean. Regardless of what you think about about uh, Pence or, or Ryan or or their uh, you know whatever involvement they may or may not have had, this this just this just flies in the face of uh, the basic functioning of how presidential succession works. And and yet, even though this is this is sort of completely uh, 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 sort of something you could dismiss completely out of hand if you have a sort of you know basic understanding, you know people are sort of flocking to this. This idea, and you know, they're flocking to it because it it sort of feeds. I, you know, I think a, it, it offers a kind of, of way of assuaging, you know, sort of their anxieties and their uncertainties about the future. That that somebody like Louise Mint can come along with uh, with with certainty, and, and certainty is is often more appealing than uh, than actual correctness. Let's take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about the effect of social media. That's, I think, definitely out an effect on the spread of conspiracy theories. And um, and uh, we'll talk about what it means to have a, a president who traffic, in fact, rose to prominence uh, trafficking a conspiracy theory. And we'll talk much more. And the key question, why? Why do people, why are they susceptible to conspiracy theories? And my guest, Colin Dickey, treats that. Uh, he is uh, author of a recent article in the New Republic called The New Paranoia. Uh, also um, author of an upcoming book on uh, conspiracy theories and related uh, topics. And uh, that is coming out, I think, 2019? Yep. 2019. And uh, that is uh, called The Unidentified. 
Uh, also want to, later in the hour, maybe make any connections that you perhaps see between this topic and your previous book, Ghostland. I think I, I see a you know, few connections. We can talk about that more following the break. This is Learning Life's Lessons. My name is Noreen Stafford. I'm from Tucson, Arizona, and these are my words of wisdom. Yes, Virginia, there is a model town in the U.S. nestled in the mountains where clear streams flow and blue lakes glisten in the sunlight, a town where people care and help one another. One day at a local gas station, a young man asked my husband of 77 years if he could help him pump gas or clean his windshield. This type of kindness is found throughout Logan. After watching a movie about the Mormon religion, a young college female student insisted on walking us home so we would be safe. Logan is a wonderful place. Learning Life's Lessons on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the USU University Inn and Conference Center Summer Citizens Program, celebrating 40 years of living and learning at the top of Utah. Information at summercitizens.usu.edu. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We are talking conspiracy theories on the program today. And I have with me uh, author and professor Colin Dickey. He's author of a forthcoming book about conspiracy theories and other delusions. I think as has described, called The Unidentified. And he says such theories appear and spread at moments of upheaval and uh, cultural anxiety. Writing recently in the New Republic magazine, he examines the rise of conspiracy theories long thought to be more the province of the right wing on the left in the aftermath of Donald Trump's election as president. You're welcome to join this conversation at 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, or upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. I'd be interested to know uh, if you have encountered a conspiracy theory, whether from the left or the right. Do you subscribe to any conspiracy theories? What are your thoughts? 800-826-1495 or upraxcess at gmail.com. So Colin Dickey, a key question, and I, I uh, struck upon this, the, the, your, your coming book is described as uh, treating conspiracy theories and other delusions. That word delusion, um, it's delusion, self-delusion. I, I guess if you subscribe to a conspiracy theory that's a loaded word, you wouldn't, you wouldn't use that word, but... Uh, Certainly those who would accuse you of, uh, of falling for a conspiracy theory would, would use that word. Right. And again, I mean, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a complicated uh, sort of discussion, particularly with regards to the, the as I mentioned, the sort of still unfolding uh, news story about, about Russia and, and, you know, anything that might have happened. I mean, because you want to be clear that, that not every uh, conspiracy is, is fictitious. I mean, you know, Watergate was a was a conspiracy, a Iran Contra affair. These, you know, these were actual conspiracies that that were brought to light, and uh, you know, people people went to jail over them. And and so when you're when you're talking about conspiracies versus conspiracy theories, I think that it's really important to remember that um, you know how you come to believe a thing is is in many ways sort of more important than what you actually believe. And so. With conspiracy theories, I think what you see again and again is you see someone who feels for, for any number of reasons, either valid or invalid, that they are, are sort of, sort of they've been pushed to the margins. They, they are on the outside and sort of unfairly have been left behind or ignored. And, and people in, in those situations, not all of them, but some of them respond by um, imagining that that what has happened to them is is not um, necessarily the circumstances of, of chance or or their own misfortune or their own sort of uh, failure, but rather some sort of malevolent secret cabal that is that is kind of uh, you know putting their thumb on the scales and sort of dictating things, and 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 that in a way becomes for a lot of people a kind of even though it you know it, it sounds very evil and malevolent, it, it actually sort of you know, paradoxically, is is sort of reassuring because it it it, it takes some of the chaos and uh, noise out of the world and replaces it with a with a sense of order, even if that order is is in fact kind of evil. And and you say, according uh, here uh, from your article, 
that most danger, dangerous of all, it can affirm your sense that things are hopeless while absolving you from having to do anything about it. Right, exactly. I mean, if, if you are, you know, say you, you, you voted for Hillary Clinton or you, or you didn't vote for Donald Trump, you didn't like Donald Trump, and, you know, uh, here was a guy who, uh, you know, all of the polls said he was going to lose sort of up until Election Day. You know, he had, you know, maybe a 1% chance of winning. Uh, you know, he, he loses the, the popular vote by, by several million votes. So, you know, clearly uh, there are a lot of Americans who, who, who didn't want to see him elected, and yet, yet he, he gets elected. So, you know, what do you do with that information? You can either sort of face, face that and say, okay, you know, you know we who, who are not, you know, happy with this guy, we have a lot of work to do in terms of, uh, you know, organizing, get out the votes, and sort of educating voters and sort of convincing them that, you know, his policies are actually quite bad for people. Uh, you know, that, and that's, that's, a, that's a long, hard slog. It involves a lot of effort, involves a lot of frustration. It, you know, or you can say uh, this, the fix was in. You know, uh, you know Donald Trump was uh, you know, a Manchurian candidate sort of secretly guided to, to victory by uh, forces who are going to use them for, for their own malevolent purposes. And, and more importantly, uh, the CIA and the FBI know this and they are they are one step away from unmasking him and and uh putting hillary clinton back into the white house or something like that you know i mean whatever whatever form that takes but but you can see how one one of those responses requires a lot of work a lot of dedication a lot of commitment and the other one sort of treats it all as a spy novel where all you have to do is kind of sit back and and watch uh justice unfold yeah, you, you uh, go on to say that uh, conspiracy theories reduce the big, scary world to a single axis, promising there exists somewhere one hidden fact. So a, a great simplification, which can be reassuring, but as you, as you were saying, they're uh, dangerous if you then retire from the, from the world and don't engage. Right, exactly. And again, I mean, if you, if you were unhappy with, with Trump's victory, uh, you know, there are a lot of factors that, that went into that, you know, the sort of failure of, of polling agencies to get it right. The, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe Hillary Clinton should have campaigned in Wisconsin more. Uh, you know, maybe she sort of didn't reach out to the right people or, you know, whatever. You know, you can list a number of different reasons, all of which probably had some small part to play, some larger than others. Or you can say, you know, you can pick one single identifying factor, and that is the, the overwhelming reason why things happen the way they are. And that's, that's just sort of simpler to manage. You know, and again, I mean, I, you know, I looked at this in the wake of uh, Trump's election because, you know, that's what's going on. But, you know, th- this, is, this is what normally happens on the right as well. I mean, people in 2009 who, who looked at the election of Barack Obama and said, you know, he, he's, he's a Kenyan, he's not, he's not an American citizen. I mean, that was a way of uh, sort of taking the messy reality of American politics and American demographics and the changing face of what, what an American was and putting a simple, single narrative on it that, that sort of resolved all those problems and said, you know, Barack Obama is not actually an American. So, so I, you know, I want to be clear, we all do this, or, or at least all sides of the the political spectrum do this, and, and just because it's, it's happening now in the wake of, of Trump's election doesn't mean that this is somehow uh, singular to, to, to one political spectrum. You know, I want to underscore that. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people have shared this, this sort of uh, smugness on one side of the, the spectrum. You quote uh, Mario Cuomo uh, is saying the right, you know, writes their manifesto, as it were, in crayon, and we use a, a quill. Right, exactly, right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, whenever, whenever your side is winning, it's very easy for you to sort of smugly dismiss the other side as a bunch of, uh, you know, cranks and weirdos who can't accept defeat. Um, but, you know, as I, as I mentioned before, I mean, this, this, this goes to the heart of, of American uh, history and identity, and it goes all the way back to, uh, you know, scaremongering about the Illuminati in the 1800 election, you know, I mean, this, so this is, this is a part and parcel of, of who we are as Americans and how we, how we face defeat, how we face our own changing demographics, how we face our, our involvement in electoral politics. And, it, and it's going to be with us uh, long after Donald Trump is no longer president. So it sounds like a, a good prescription uh, to guard against conspiracy theories and everything related. Uh, a lot of bad things related is is engagement 
right? But that's that's getting harder to increase polarization. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Certainly, there there are some sort of basic things you can do to to guard against, uh, you know, conspiracy theories. I mean, I you know check you know sort of basic things. Check your news source. You know where where is the thing you're reading? Where is it coming from? Is it coming from something shared on Facebook? Is it a legitimate news site? You know, I mean, there's lots of sort of uh, kind of just sort of day-to-day things you can do to kind of uh, guard against uh, falling for for these these beliefs. But I think on a more fundamental level, you know what I what I try to argue in this piece is that um, uh, a basic thing you can do is ask yourself, you know, why do you want these things to be true? Why why do you believe these things? And 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 are you are you looking for some sort of factual confirmation that will actually address the psychological need you have? Rather than looking for you know the actual data that the world uh, is giving you, you know, I mean, if you're if you're looking for something to make you feel better, then you're going to, uh, you know, you run the risk of succumbing to confirmation bias and, and possibly even conspiracy. You know, if you if you need to feel better about the world, then you know there are ways to do that that don't involve uh, you know reading the news. There, you know, you can. And, and that's kind of what, I, what I'd like to sort of take away from this, is that it's more about why we look for information rather than what the information is. Mm. You talked to a researcher, I found his uh, findings interesting, Ted Gertzel. Um, yeah, well, I didn't talk to him. This, this uh, is from, an, from you, an old study. Yeah, oh, you, you read, but, it, yeah, read, a, read a study. still really uh, valid. Um, and and, uh, and then you draw, I don't know if he or you draws this uh, parallel between uh, used to be, uh, that apocalyptic-minded Christians who felt the world was uh, getting worse, politicians didn't respond to them, um, becoming a, a bad place to bring children into. Now it's progressives worried about the impact of climate change. Right, exactly. And, uh, you know, and again, I mean, I, I grew up, uh, you know, remembering, uh, you know, the year 2000 and this kind of rise in, in you know, millenarian fever, this idea that, you know, definitely the second coming was at hand and, you know, people getting getting prepared for all that, and uh, you know, and then with with 9/11, I think that kind of continued. That you know, well, maybe we were off by a few years, but but definitely, you know, the the end of the world is coming. And you know, yeah, and and what Gertzel points out is that you know, when you when you sort of see the world as this inhospitable place where uh, you know it's not a safe thing, a safe place to bring in children, or you know, because we're sort of in cultural decline. I mean, that's one of the the leading indicators that will lead to conspiracy theorists, and you know what we what we see now is a lot of that apocalyptic rhetoric has uh, has found a kind of secular home in in discussions around climate change. And I you know I want to be clear that I, I I also think that climate change is a problem. I don't think that they that it's entirely off base. And I you know I hope we're we're able to to mitigate it as best as we can. But it, but it is. It is striking to see that that now a lot of people on the left also sort of see the world as maybe you know inhospitable to bring children into that you know we're in sort of uh, we've entered a, a stage of irrevocable de- decline that we're we're heading towards the end and and you know that that would also then indicate maybe a, a susceptibility to uh, to a sort of conspiratorial mind frame. And the conspiratorial mind frame is, seems also to track with the feeling. That you don't have a voice, right? This idea of a silent majority or a silent minority, um, and and now, <laughs> paradoxically, it's it's uh, perhaps it's the left. Right. Exactly. And again, I mean, when you look at you look at Glenn Beck and Alex Jones and, and their audience, you know what a lot of sociologists have talked about is is this this audience of um, you know older white males in particular who. Who grew up sort of thinking that you know that they they and they alone sort of represented America, uh, you know, and and didn't maybe adapt very well to uh, you know an increasing sort of multicultural uh, you know America, one that was maybe more tolerant of of the LGBTQ community, one in which women sort of asserted a greater role, and you know, and those men responded by not all of them by by any means, and, and again, I'm a I'm a you know, middle-aged white man myself. So, um, you know, but some of them responded by sort of thinking that that maybe you know they had lost uh, they had lost the America that they they had come to know. And and uh, you know, I mean, you heard this refrain over and over again, uh, particularly during the Obama years. You know, I want my country back. You know, and and that fed into very much a, a conspiratorial mind frame for a lot of these people that that the only way they could rationalize. 
um, you know, this, this sense that they had lost the America that they knew uh, was not that America is changing because America is always changing, but rather that there had been some sort of secret uh, conspiracy to take it away from them. And, and, and again, as I mentioned before, I mean, if you are, you know, one of the, the, the people who, you know, the many millions of people who, you know, did not vote for Trump and yet, uh, you know, found him, you know, now in, in the presidency, it's, it's easy to see a similar sort of vein of, of people who are, you know, arguing, you know, I want, my, I want my country back. And, you know, now those people are often, you know, on the left and maybe, you know, aligned with, you know, the LGBTQ community or, or immigrants or, uh, you know, Muslim Americans or any number of people. And, you know, again, I mean, I think for, for me, um, it's, it's interesting to see that, that on the one hand, um, those, those fears can be very real for, you know, people, you know, I mean, active, you know, Mexican-Americans and their families watching uh, people actually being deported. I feel that that, that uh, panic and fear is maybe a little bit more acute than it might have been for, for other parts of the, the, the country. Yeah, as you're right, you know, you, I might be paranoid, but uh, if they really are out to get me, <laughs> right, you know. Exactly, right, yeah. Um, I want to talk a bit about the president. So, um, first of all, the president himself came to, you know, he rose to prominence, rode a wave that began with uh, him uh, being the, the chief, uh, most prominent proponent of, of a conspiracy theory, the, you know, birtherism. Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, he, his, his political career was based on a conspiracy theory, and uh, he became one of the most prominent birthers, uh, certainly the, the loudest voice in, in, uh, for the longest time in, in maintaining that, you know, he had investigators that he was paying to who were, who were right on the verge of, of, uh, of coming back from Hawaii and revealing some sort of secret documents that prove that, that Obama was not an American citizen. And, uh, you know, we saw how that played out. And, you know, he, he's embraced other conspiracy theories as it as it's suited him during the, the campaign when he was fighting the, the uh, National Enquirer, uh, which, uh, you know, I think we all know is a a newspaper of great uh, reputation and uh, factual accuracy, uh, you know, citing the National Enquirer that uh, Ted Cruz's father was somehow involved in the JFK assassination. And, uh, you know, I mean, so this has been part and parcel of his political rhetoric, and, and I think many people on the right sort of assumed that it would, uh, he would tamp, tamp this down once he got elected and once he got into office, but... Uh, you know, he continues to throw out these sort of wildly speculative claims. You know, Obama has tapped Trump Tower, uh, you know, and, and, and these sort of reflect, I think, uh, itself a kind of, you know, a paranoid mind that, that's at work, or at least, you know, has, has the, the appearance of a paranoid mind at work. Maybe, you know, I, I think there are some who, are, who suppose that he does this uh, calculatedly and deliberately because he, he knows that it, it will achieve a certain effect and resonate with a certain audience. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's hard to say for sure, but it, it is certainly uh, a new phase that we're entering where, where this kind of rhetoric is, is now coming from the, the commander-in-chief. So inevitably this takes it takes conspiracy theory more mainstream, does it? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the really worrying effects is that um, the, the, the net result is that we as a country sort of stop thinking that there is any objective truth that we can all agree on. You know, I mean, it, again, it's one thing for us to have political or ideological or religious disagreements. I think that's that's normal, that's healthy. We can, you know, we all believe different things about, you know, what's the best way to, to move our country forward. And, you know, a lot of hot button issues we have, we have very different uh, beliefs. And, and that's fine, and that's healthy, and that's what a democracy should be. But, but we seem to be entering a phase where we no longer even uh, agree on the basic facts from which we might draw these conclusions. You know, I mean, and, and again, I mean, you know, uh, Alex Jones and his, his Sandy Hook conspiracy theories is a, is a good example. I mean, you know, regardless of what you think the right answer to, you know, prevent a tragedy like, like Sandy Hook, you know, whether or not you think that means uh, we should, you know, increase gun control laws or we should, you know, arm everybody so that, you know, good guys with a gun can fight back. I mean, you know, there are legitimate policy disagreements there, but we should all agree that this actually happened and it was a tragedy. And when conspiracy theories start to infect, uh, 
even the most mainstream discourse, then we reach a point where we can't even agree on the basic facts from which we might have a reasoned debate about these issues. And I think that that's a very worrying uh, trend that we're entering into. And then we, I want to uh, have you take us through, you, you uh, cite uh, Sarah Kenzior, researcher and author, uh, 247,000 Twitter followers. Um, so you, you say that, so she's an example of confirmation bias. She, she seems to think every action taken by the Trump administration's evidence so we're in the early throes of authoritarian takeover. Um, but then there are others who take it from there and go more into the realm of conspiracy theory. That, uh, that yeah, tr- I mean, Sarah Kenzier is, is an interesting figure, and, and since this piece was published, I, I've gotten a lot of blowback from friends who are, are unhappy that I've, I've equated her with some of the more fringe people like, uh, like Louise Manchin. You know, the important thing about Sarah Kenzier is she, she is an academic who has a Ph.D. in, um, you know, Eastern European and post-Soviet authoritarian regime. So, so that's, that's absolutely within her field of expertise, and, and I, 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 I would listen to her about, about those issues about, you know, uh, Ukraine and other areas that, that fall within her expertise. What I find sort of disconcerting about, about Sarah Kenzier's work is the way in which she very easily and, and readily projects what she knows about uh, authoritarian regimes in Eastern Europe and, and the post-Soviet bloc onto American politics as though they're, they're one and the same. And, you know, and, and certainly a lot of the moves of the Trump administration would seem to mimic authoritarian uh, dictatorships, you know, the, the installing of his family members instead of qualified people for positions. I mean, I, I, I would agree with her that that, that that does seem to mirror, you know, the kind of thing you would find in, uh, in, in one of these authoritarian regimes. But, but we've also seen how, um, how much difference there is between, you know, the American governmental system and some of these, these more tenuous democracies. And, you know, the, the travel ban uh, is a great example of this. I mean, this is this is a, a policy that you know that Trump has uh, has has tried to implement, and he's gotten uh, pushback from from the courts, and and that pushback has has been upheld. And so you know, so uh, as much as maybe Trump sort of wants to maybe see himself as a Eastern European authoritarian dictator, uh, the the U.S. government, at least for the moment, has has resisted those those tendencies, and we need to continue to be vigilant. We need to be, I, I think, you know, a, a lot more proactive on, on investigating to what extent he's, he's personally profiting from the office of, of the presidency and, and things like that. So, I, you know, I'm not trying to sort of, you know, wipe it all away and say it's not an issue. I just, I think that, that again, when people are sort of looking for ways to explain uh, what's happening, they, they often tend towards analogies, which, which may or may not be uh, the, the most accurate and best representations of, of what's actually going on. Yeah, she apparently, um, according to your article, she tweeted uh, that the Republican repeal of Obamacare was ominous because you don't pass something this unpopular thinking there would be free and fair elections. That seemed to me a good example. You, you could see how she would think that way, but, you know, reasonable people can disagree that it's just a, a misstep or, you know, a first step to get maybe, a, a in their view, a better healthcare bill down down the road or that or that they needed to act and do something right exactly and you know and i was i was reminded the other day of uh you know bumper stickers from from the 2004 election that said uh you know bush cheney 04 the last vote you'll ever make you know and so this this idea that we are on the verge of losing free and fair elections is, is something we've seen before i mean it's something that uh, you know, the, the left uh, put forward in, in 2004 when, when George W. Bush was reelected. It was something the right put forward in 2012 when Barack Obama was reelected. You know, the idea that, that somehow, you know, he had rigged the election. And so, so this is, again, this is a, this is a, a, a longstanding refrain of uh, not only are the, the bad guys winning, but the bad guys are going to, to keep us from ever uh, having free elections again, and they're going to, you know, advance this this new world order in which, you know, we become this sort of, uh, you know, repressive authoritarian uh, state. And so, so yeah, so you can look at you can look at something like the the repeal of this this you know, uh, Obamacare, when replacing it with this enormously unpopular bill, and you can say, uh, you know, this is this is proof that the fix is in that you know that we're on the road to despotism, or you could say that. Uh, you know, these are uh, 
uh, a bunch of semi-competent politicians making an extraordinarily bad pol- uh, calculation that's going to negatively impact a, a, you know millions of people. And you know, I think history has shown that the latter is 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 often proved to be true. <laughs> I want to. I don't want to spend. You know, pick on Sarah Kenzier too much, but I just can't sure. leave this because you reminded us that she compared Trump to Niyazov, the uh, deceased dictator of Turkmenistan. I'd forgotten about him. He renamed months of the year after himself and his family members, instituted a new alphabet, uh, outlawed lip syncing. There, these eccentricities of these uh, autocrats. Right. Exactly. And, you know, and, the, and this, this Turkmenistan dictator. I mean, he was. He was a disaster. He was a human rights disaster. He was, uh, you know, a, a megalomaniac freak, and and certainly you can make a lot of superficial parallels with with Trump. Who, you know, I mean, uh, anyone who lives in in New York or New York City knows how how desperate Trump is to have everything renamed after him. Um, you know, and and I think you know on a certain level that's that's fine. I mean, you know, it, it achieves a kind of rhetorical effect. It's it's when you start taking that as as less assertive. Uh, you know, rhetorical jab and, and as somehow sort of a factual argument that's being made that, that you start to run into trouble. Now, you get into, you start getting to the realm of conspiracy theory with the, staying on Trump. Uh, when you, And there are people who say that, uh, his, if you agree that is incompetent, that his apparent incompetence is actually a cover for a, a complex and sinister plot. Right, exactly. And, and that's when you get to, you know, the fundamental working of conspiracy that even evidence to the contrary doesn't dispel the, the, the theory. It, it simply reinforces it as, you know, a further layer of, of duplicity. And so, you know, one of, the, one of the constant refrains is that, oh, you know, the, the, the Trump team is playing uh, 11-dimensional chess. You know, they are, they are thinking so many moves ahead of us that uh, what looks like abject incompetency and uh, just failure of people who've never been in office before and don't really know what they're doing is, in fact, uh, you know, just the opening gambit of a incredibly complex series of moves that, before you know it, is going to end up in, you know, the end of America as we know it. It reminds me, uh, this argument, uh, kind of on a more benign level, of a Saturday Night Live uh, skit, this is several years ago, Phil Hartman playing Reagan. And uh, the, the, the plot was uh, Reagan was kind of a bumbler when reporters were in the room, but uh, once you cleared them out, he, he's, he's the clever mastermind behind everything. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, right. And, and again, I mean, if, you, if you've been following the news about this, this travel ban, you know, every legal scholar, well, nearly every, every legal scholar, has, has eviscerated as just, uh, as just poor legal reasoning and, and you know, sort of, Badly worded and and you know uh, you know not only sort of you know uh, discriminatory in its intent and effect but but just sort of uh, just just sort of slapdash together and and yet you have people who say well you know what he's really doing is floating a trial balloon for for despotism and so this is all part of a plan and not in fact something that you know a, what a 31 year old aide put together on a Friday afternoon or something you know. So yeah, so so that's that's that kind of that that belief that that what we're seeing is is in fact not you know what our eyes tell it to be, but but some sort of deeper seated truth that only a few stalwart individuals have managed to uncover. We're talking uh, on uh, the program today with Colin Dickey. He is uh, author of a forthcoming book on conspiracy theories and uh, an article, a very interesting article in the New Republic, talking about the new paranoia. We uh, will have more following the break. I want to get into the platforms uh, through which uh, conspiracy theories uh, proliferate. Uh, Twitter is perfect. And I'll just uh, leave uh, listeners with this tease. This is quoting uh, Colin Dickey. Conspiracy tweets play not to our desire to understand the world, but our deep-seated need to share things we find most comforting. More following this break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Utah Humanities, empowering Utahns to improve their communities through active engagement online at utahhumanities.org. Quick, when is health care policy like a Frank Sinatra song? That reminds me of a song. Fairy tales can come true. It can happen to you. I don't believe it. How about when Congress talks about cutting Medicaid? A lot. 
I'm Kai Riznal, the story from Arkansas, next time on Marketplace. Join us tonight at 6.30 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We're talking with Colin Dickey. He is author of an upcoming book on conspiracy theories. It's called The Unidentified, coming out in 2019. Author previously a very interesting book called Ghostland. And uh, if we have time, we'll get into maybe some parallels there. Um, You're welcome to join this conversation at 800-826-1495 or upraxcess at uh, gmail.com. uh, it is true, uh, Colin Dickey, that uh, you, you wade into uh, social media, especially Twitter. You're you're going to find conspiracy theories, and pretty readily. I want to have you talk about this so that I read before the break. I'll read it again from your article in the New Republic. Conspiracy tweets play not to our desire to understand the world, but our deep-seated need to share things we find most comforting. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that, that social media has been a, a real driver for a lot of this, and, and even more broadly, the, the Internet. I mean, when you think of the amount of, uh, you know, the, the proliferation of conspiracy theories uh, in the past 20 years since the Internet has become a kind of daily feature in our life, and, uh, you know, what, what does the Internet and, and social media do? They're all about uh, connecting disparate things, right? You know, they're about connecting you with your family that's you know lives on the other coast. They're they're about connecting you with your high school classmates that you've lost touch with. They're about connecting you with uh, you know uh, remote control car aficionados or, or you know you know whatever. I mean the the whole premise of of social media is to make connections between you and and other people who aren't you know immediately around you and and because it's it's structured as a way of of forging connections among disparate things, it, it turns out to be a perfect medium for conspiracy theories, which, which also are about connecting disparate things. You know, I mean, you know, the, the, the refrain in, in, uh, in, in conspiracy theories circles is, you know, connect the dots, you know, I mean, and, and, and when you think of, you know, shows like True Detective and, you know, some of these sort of famous shows about, uh, you know, conspiracies and stuff, there's, there's what, uh, you know, what I've heard described as the crazy wall, which is the, the wall of, of evidence that's all connected by, you know, red strings or whatever, where, where somebody is trying to make connections between all these disparate things, you know. And, and that, that, in addition to sort of being the perfect illustration of a conspiracy theory, is also the perfect illustration of, of the Internet, you know, that these are both things that are about networking together isolated bits of information to create a larger, uh, more coherent picture that, that wasn't otherwise available until now. I want to have you respond to a couple of points made in an article in the New Republic, uh, sort of a pushback, I guess, to some of the points you were making. There's an article by Jeet here. Um, the title is, No, Liberals Are Not Falling for Conspiracy Theories, Just Like Conservatives Do. One of the arguments is in this article is that Democrats are much more heterogeneous than Republicans, therefore not as fertile ground. Uh, again, I mean, sure. I mean, I think that it is easy to... Whatever your political position, it is easy to say we are more resistant to this, uh, you know, this, this psychosis than our, our our opponents because of X, Y, and Z. You know, and I, I think I think for a lot of people, there's a lot of people on the right who would say we are we are more resistant to conservative or to conspiracy theories because we are heterogeneous. I mean, you know, again, the, the Tea Party wave initially came about at, in in opposition to the mainstream Republican Party and. You know what's happening with the uh, you know with the healthcare repeal right now is that you have so many heterogeneous forces within the Republican legislature that they can't agree on a bill. You know that the, the moderates want to keep the good parts of Obamacare and the conservatives want to you know cut everything, and they can't agree on on a middle ground that everybody will agree with. So so it, it doesn't seem to me like. Uh, one side or the other is any more heterogeneous. It, it, it seems like that's the kind of thing you say when you look out at your opponents and, and, and what unites them all is that they, they don't think like you do. Another argument put forward in this article is uh, that there's not a pre-built ecosystem, media ecosystem, amplifying conspiracy theories uh, in, in the world of Democrats. Yeah, and uh, you know that, that's maybe a more salient point. I mean, it is true that um, you know, the left does not have figures like Glenn Beck and Alex Jones who are uh, making millions of dollars 
on on these theories. I mean, they're at least not right now, you know. And so, you know, I mean, Alex Jones has made a a multimedia empire. Uh, advancing, uh, you know, Sandy Hook truther conspiracy theories and, and other things that are, are factually uh, inaccurate. And, and he's played to people's fear and their paranoia, and he's, he's become a very rich man doing it. And, you know, Glenn Beck, to a, a slightly less extent, but still very much so, has, has, has as well. And, and it's true that the left does not, does not have that kind of media ecosystem to, to amplify those voices, and I think one of the things I was I was trying to do in writing this piece is to make sure that didn't happen. You know, to, to that that you know, the sooner we can snuff out the oxygen of these these uh, these theories, the less likely we we will uh, end up with the the left's answer to Alex Jones. Uh, you know, on you know CNN or MSNBC or, or or even Fox News. You know, in five years from now. I want to get this email in. This is from Glenn. He says, hello, just because I'm paranoid doesn't mean that they aren't after me. I do not know who said that, but I love that statement. My personal favorite conspiracy theory is chemtrails. I follow a few skeptic-based websites uh, and which seem to have a heyday with chemtrail people. One of the best-running gags has been a patch that uh, are facetiously worn by Air Force pilots which read chemtrails, spray and pray. These patches are produced by some of these skeptic websites. Chemtrails are only slightly ahead of the anti-vaxxers in derision on these sites. Many of these things have been propagated uh, on uh, overnight radio show hosted by Art Bell and George Norrie. These uh, guys have run the gamut from mutilated cows, remote viewing, uh, featuring uh, MJ Ed Dames, uh, chemtrails, the alien abduction, UFO ranch in Uinta County, government conspiracies, ad nauseum. Conspiracies seem to be an almost genetic human nature trail, nature trait, just as propensity to believe in them as well as to mock them. That's uh, Glenn. Yeah, you know, I, you know, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a child of the '90s. Uh, you know, I grew up with that, with the X Files and and Twin Peaks. And, you know, I grew up listening to Art Bell before, uh, before George Nori became the host on Coast to Coast. And, uh, you know, I will say, I mean, I, I love this stuff too. You know, I, you know, what, what I see and and what I find, you know, fascinating, if a little unnerving, is, is, is it seems, and you know, maybe this is my own nostalgia and my own, you know, rosy tinted glasses, but the the conspiracy of the, of the 90s just felt they felt a lot more fun you know i mean it's it's one thing to think that bigfoot exists and he's out there and maybe if you're you're camping in the right place and your camera just happens to be at the ready you might get a glimpse of of a bigfoot i mean that's you know it's it's probably not true bigfoot probably doesn't exist but it's there's no harm i think in 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 going down that road and sort of entertaining those kind of ideas but but what we've seen is 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 how conspiracy theories have more and more become focused on this, this deep-seated sort of malevolent paranoia and fear and terror. And, you know, when you've got a guy who shows up at a, at a pizza restaurant in D.C. armed to the teeth because he's, he's heard on, from Alex Jones that there's a secret pedophilia ring there, you know, and he, you know, I mean, that's, that's a whole sort of different, different cast to, uh, you know, the kind of stuff that, that I grew up with in the, in the 90s. And I think I'm I'm fascinated, if worried, by the, this trend towards what, what maybe was once a kind of, you know, harmless kind of fun thing to think about, you know, maybe UFOs to exist, to, you know, they're coming to take away our guns, we should kill them first. You know, I mean, that, that's yeah. just a, a markedly different approach. Right. Well, have to leave it there, out of time, uh, we've been joined by Colin Dickey. The upcoming book is The Unidentified. It's about conspiracy theories and uh, another book to really check out, interesting book, Ghostland. Colin Dickey, thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. And thanks for listening.